On the evening of October 29th, a crowd of rioters stormed the Mahachkala airport and then flooded the tarmac after a flight landed from Tel Aviv. The angry men had assembled amid reports circulating on the social network Telegram about Israeli refugees allegedly coming to resettle in Dagestan, supposedly with the diabolical plan to oust the native population. Rioters waved Palestinian flags and chanted anti-Semitic slogans. Right now you're hearing a recording of some of that ruckus in the background as I speak. Members of the crowd clashed with police, kicked through barricades, and stopped vehicles leaving the airport, checking travelers' passports in search of Israelis. Surrounded passengers pleaded with the angry mob, holding up their Russian passports and shouting that they aren't Israelis. A woman who arrived on the flight from Tel Aviv later told journalists at Mediazona how she and a couple of dozen other passengers, including a sick child who was hooked up to a breathing machine, were escorted off the plane, then into the airport and guarded to varying degrees as the riot swirled downstairs. The scene was chaotic. Someone snapped a now infamous photograph of a rioter on the runway peering into a jet engine, which was instantly mocked on social media as the embodiment of the pogromist's idiotic hunt for Jews. While some passengers trickled into the city of Mahachkala, the others were eventually carted off to a nearby military base and then airlifted the next morning in military helicopters to an airfield in Mineralne Vode, about 280 miles to the west. Sharing a video from the X account of the right-wing news aggregator Visegrad 24 that contained footage of rioters bashing their way through Mahachkala Airport, U.S. Republican Congressman Dan Crenshaw tweeted, Never heard of Dagestan until now, but apparently it's a Jew-hating hellhole. Dagestan, if you didn't already know, is part of Russia's North Caucasian Federal District. The republic is the southernmost tip of Russia, sharing land borders with Azerbaijan and Georgia, and Russian boundaries with Chechnya, Kalmykia, and the Stavropol Krai. If anybody listening knows Representative Crenshaw, please pass along that information. But on this week's show, let's talk to people who have already heard of Dagestan, and let's try to understand how such a terrifying display of anti-Semitism gripped the Republic's biggest airport a week ago. Welcome to The Naked Problem. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to The Naked Pravda. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. And this week's show focuses not just on the riot in Dagestan at Mahachkala Airport on October 29th, but on the series of recent anti-Semitic incidents in Russia's North Caucasus. A day before the airport violence, locals in the city of Hasevjurt assembled outside a hotel amid rumors circulating online that it was accommodating Israeli refugees. When hotel guests refused to come to their windows to prove somehow, that they weren't Jews, people in the crowd started throwing rocks at the building. The mob didn't disperse until the police showed up and allowed several demonstrators to enter the hotel to verify that it wasn't full of Jews. That same day, unpermitted anti-Israeli rallies took place in Mahachkala's Lenin Square and in Cherkes, the capital of Karachayeva, Cherkesia. Demonstrators demanded that Israeli refugees not be allowed to enter the region and that ethnic Jews be expelled from the area. The following morning, on October 29th, unknown individuals set fire to a Jewish cultural center in Nalchik that was still under construction. The assailants threw burning tires onto the property and wrote the phrase, Death to Jews, on the wall. Following the airport riot in Dagestan, which quickly became an international scandal, Vladimir Putin gathered Russia's national security elite for an in-person meeting where he stressed the need for firm, timely, and clear action to protect Russia's constitutional order, the rights and freedoms of our citizens, and inter-ethnic and interfaith accord. However, 
He spent most of his public remarks condemning the United States and its supposedly crumbling hegemony, a theme of his speeches for several years now. I would like to say once again that we must realize where the root of evil lies. We must know where the spider that is trying to entangle the entire planet and the whole world in its cobweb is. It wants to ensure our strategic defeat on the battlefield, and it is using people on the territory of contemporary Ukraine who have been brainwashed by it for decades, Putin said. In the days after the Mahachkala airport riot, Moscow settled on the explanation that foreign intelligence operatives in Ukraine, orchestrated by the Americans, of course, are to blame for manipulating Dagestani's understandable outrage about Israel's attacks on civilians in Gaza. And yet many Americans, as our friend Dan Crenshaw demonstrated so well, have never even heard of Dagestan. I asked Harold Chambers, a political and security analyst focused on the North Caucasus, to unpack this congressman's comment. My initial response is uh, Representative Crenshaw. If you haven't heard of Dagestan, I am available. I will go and talk to you if you would like. Is it a Jew-hating hellhole? No, it's not a Jew-hating hellhole. <laughs> okay, hey, let's break. let's break it down. Is it Jew-hating, and then is it a hellhole? It's neither of those things. This, you know, the... the mob and attempted pogrom at the airport was it was the actions of a very large crowd but that's not the entire republic of dagestan it's sort of the the attempts to you know generalize the actions of the few to characterize you know the entire republic of dagestan is just sort of absurd if a jewish person were to come to you right now and say thinking about going to dagestan on vacation is that a good idea oh i would say no okay because just right now there's just too much volatility and all of the narratives in like the opposition north caucasus opposition telegram channels so the ones that were you know sort of behind pushing narratives in connection with the airport mob a lot of them are still pushing the same narratives very anti-semitic messages my second guest this week is zakir magamedov senior editor at rfrl's caucasus realities edition he points out that the Caucasus has actually had a community of Jewish people, the so-called Mountain Jews, living in the region for centuries. And most members of this group today live in Dagestan. There are Mountain Jews, ethnical group in Dagestan. There are not much of them, but uh, there are at least from 200 to 300 families are there. And uh, the population, I think there are maybe from 4,000 but according to another sources, there are like 4,000, from 4,000 to 10,000 Jewish people in Dagestan, mountain Jews, I mean. And there are like several synagogues also in Dagestan. And uh, it's said that with all of this, with uh, history, with Jewish people, with Jewish peoples, you know, they are in Dagestan history. For example, the founder of the, one of the famous dancing team from Dagestan, Lesginka. Ethnically, he was Jew. And this anti-Semitic rally at the airport, it's kind of the first big anti-Semitic action, let's say, in Dagestan. I also asked Zakir if he thinks Jewish people now in Dagestan should fear for their safety. Here's what he said. I think there might be some threats for them. Otherwise, uh, the rabbi of the uh, Jewish community in Dagestan, he wouldn't say that those 200, 300 families uh, might be relocated from Dagestan. Apparently, there are some threats. However, most of those families, they live in uh, southern Dagestan, in the Derbent. Journalists at the news outlet The Bell 
found that Telegram messages containing the words Dagestan, Mahachkala, and Jews started spiking on October 24th. Amid confusion and false rumors about a supposed incoming wave of Israeli refugees, the first incitements to assemble at the city's airport to confront arriving flights appeared on October 28th and 29th on the Telegram channel Ultra Dagestan, Morning in Dagestan. The same channel regularly encouraged readers to support Palestine in the aftermath of the Hamas terrorist attacks against Israel and Israel's siege of Gaza. Ultra Dagestan was launched in coordination with Ilya Panamayov, the former Russia State Duma deputy who now lives in Ukraine and styles himself as a guerrilla warrior against Russia. Journalists, including reporters at Medusa, have established that he parted ways with the channel last year. It's now run by a man named Abakar Abakarov, a blogger based in Turkey who openly supports Hamas. There's been a lot written about the, the influence of these Telegram channels. And obviously the authorities, you know, Putin himself has claimed that these riots were incited from abroad and basically, you know, through these channels, through the internet. Is the Kremlin right? Were these riots instigated from abroad? Is this like a basically foreign interference kind of operation? Not necessarily by a government, but by these opposition bloggers that are basically living in Turkey and Ukraine now? To the degree that some of these channels are diaspora members, like, yeah, then it's narratives running from abroad, but it's hardly conclusive. I mean, like, blaming it on Ukraine, like, no, it's just an attempt to avoid accountability for the situation in Dagestan and sort of, you know, to deny agency and like the actual local dynamics at play. So how much, how, where, where, would you, where do you place accountability? Who gets, who's responsible then? Is it, does Putin make too many anti-Semitic remarks and he's, he's the one responsible for inciting this? Or is it, are there local officials doing this? Briefly interrupting myself here to remind listeners that the Naked Pravda has a whole episode released in late September devoted to Vladimir Putin's anti-Semitic remarks, particularly his comments about Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Medusa senior news editor Sam Brazil spoke to historian Artyom Ifimov, the editor-in-chief of Medusa's Signal newsletter. Check the description of this episode of the show for a hyperlink to that show, or just look in your podcasting app of choice for the episode title, What's Behind Putin's Recent Spate of Anti-Semitic Statements? Like, who, who do, where do you place the responsibility? I, I've seen, you know, the whole argument that, oh, you know, it's Putin making all these anti-Semitic comments, and so Putin's the one responsible. To which I would respond, yeah. They're totally listening to what Putin is saying in his every word. Absolutely. Like, no, that's quite, that's not, it's this attempt to flip regional politics into Kremlinology. Presumably it's this combination of the Telegram channels and then just also the fact that this stuff is spreading like wildfire. Uh, like it was just yes, yesterday in Ingushetia, they arrested people for basically trying to pull, pulling the exact same thing related to flights. You know, the, like the Chechens are concerned. The Kadyrov regime is very concerned about this. They had uh, Chinggis Ahmadov, the head of the you know state TV channel Grozny, and they had Ahmad Dudayev, you know Kadyrov's propaganda minister, both out countering narratives around these flights, flights, and everything. So is it just good old fashioned grassroots anti-Semitism, or Hamas's attack on Israel on October seventh, and then the subsequent actions of Israel doing tons of airstrikes on Gaza? That is the catalyst event directly. <laughs> A small trigger warning, dear readers, if that's the right phrase here. In comments ahead, you'll hear talk of genocide allegations leveled at Israeli actions against the Palestinian people. If you don't already know, please note that this subject has been hotly debated for years, and both sides in the long-running conflict frequently accuse the other of genocidal intent. For example, some have characterized violent language against Jews from Hamas and acts of terrorism by Hamas as genocidal. 
Official international organizations, including the United Nations, have not designated Israel's 2023 invasion of Gaza as a genocide. Though a director of the United Nations High Commissioner of Human Rights recently denounced Israel's current wholesale slaughter of the Palestinian people as a textbook case of genocide. Even more recently, on November 2nd, a group of independent UN experts called for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza, saying that time is running out for Palestinians there who were at grave risk of genocide, they warned. In May 2022, incidentally, I did a whole Naked Pravda episode about allegations of genocide in Ukraine. Some people hated it. Some found it interesting. It is a contentious, messy subject wherever it arises. And the Telegram stuff is more opportunistic than... It's like this combination, basically, of Israel's committing a genocide in Gaza, to which North, you know, being subjected to genocide is something the North Caucasus peoples generally know quite a bit about. You know, this shared struggle against oppression, um, which is this is not the first time that this has sort of been, you know, a narrative that's appeared. It was very notable, you know, back early 2010s in connection with Syria. Um, and it was one of the initial reasons pre-ISIS that, you know, uh, foreign fighters would leave the North Caucasus to go down to fight in Syria. Back of my combination here. Israel-Palestine conflict, has this resonated for a while? Is this, because obviously like my layman's, my layman's assumption is like, okay, well, there's like solidarity between Muslims, but you're, you've also pointed out that there's a shared history of, of genocide and, you know, forced relocation and all that stuff. Yeah, that stuff is at least in terms of like current framing devices being employed. There has been solidarity for some time. And it's just, you know, I've seen different, you know, like people in like the human rights field and stuff, people that have worked in the North Caucasus for much longer than I have. And some of the comments they've been making is, you know, it didn't use like solidarity with Palestine didn't used to be this substantial. And you think that's it's driven by events? It's driven by events, but it's also the fact that there's definitely among younger generations been a religious shift that has not fully been comprehended. Meaning more, more religious or? Yeah, more religious and more fundamentalist. Which means greater solidarity among the faith. Yeah. My second guest, Akir Magomedov of RFRL, also says the younger generation today in Dagestan is more religious. But he cautions against underestimating the influence of Russia's federal officials. He points out that Moscow has traditionally maintained relations with Hamas. Unlike many countries around the world, such as the USA and members of the EU, Russia has not designated the group as a terrorist organization. Hamas regularly sends delegations to Moscow, most recently on October 26th, after the group's most recent terrorist attacks in Israel. All of those people at the airport, they are absolutely more religious than previous generation, if, if I can say it like that. And also all these young people, all these, uh, and they, they see that Hamas is welcomed in Kremlin. The Kremlin is kind of uh, trying uh, to take sides and uh, they're playing on the Hamas side. And it's uh, it also was something like uh, encouraged people to go to the airport because it was something like, oh, it is allowed to hate Jewish people, something like that. And so there's, there's just a lot of dynamics that because the region is so frequently considered periphery from like basically all points of view, you know, the Kremlin and just uh, researchers turn like there's dynamics that aren't fully understood here or they've been painted in, in very broad strokes. But like the actual detail, the actual detailed accounts of sort of what ideologies are being and narratives are being employed has not fully been delved into. And so that leads sort of then to 
the questions were now, you know, that are now being asked of like, okay, wait, is this all anti, is this all anti-Semitism? Has this always been here? And it's sort of been this, com- this combination of growing religiosity and more fundamentalist religiosity. And then that gets sort of triggered by the events in Gaza. And I, the pictures that are shared out of Gaza by these accounts are just absolutely horrific. And it's almost always kids. And it is some of like the worst stuff I've seen. Zakir Magomedov told me that social media, and not just Telegram channels, has played an important role in inciting anti-Semitic rioting in Dagestan. He also explained how he views the connection Dagestanis and people across the North Caucasus feel to the Israel-Palestine conflict. You know, this support for people in uh, Palestine, it wasn't something big in Dagestan or in North Caucasus uh, republics. It was like, you know, from time to time, some local uh, Muslim NGO organizations, uh, they were, you know, collecting some help money for people in, in Gaza. And that's it. And it wasn't like, you know, something big and something uh, like people will react on it. But this... Uh, Nowadays, uh, conflict, it's became huge thing and it's became huge thing because of Telegram channels, because of Instagram. And probably you uh, have heard about uh, Ultra Dagestan Telegram channel, Morning Dagestan. And uh, however, it's not also fair to say that only because of that Telegram channel, this protest started. You know, a lot of people in Dagestan, ordinary people, not just like, you know, opinions, leaders, not just politicians, sportsmen, ordinary people as well. They were posting on their Telegram channels, on Instagram accounts. They were posting some pictures, some uh, videos, writing that the, those videos and pictures are from Palestine, writing that there are like several thousand kids were killed at the at, at one day. There was a lot of misinformation. There was a lot of, you know, that fabricated news there was a lot of uh, photoshopped photos and all of those photos and videos and information that were posting by ordinary people as well and of course because of this whole of these things it got elevated you know it's kind of uh, i don't know is it fair or not to say it's kind of reminding me uh, that um, something like uh, thousand hills radio like people was sharing that hate towards uh, Jewish people was because they were saying like Jews Jews are responsible for this war for these children slash women killing things in Palestine. So and of course on this heavily let's say informated land there's landed all these uh, uh, Telegram channels activities as well. There wasn't only Morning Dagestan Telegram channels. There were several others, and they were writing about uh, that people should not allow Jewish people come to Dagestan. And you know, some business, uh, some businessmen and business ladies, they were posting something like, you know, that they are not allowing uh, Jews uh, to enter their cafes. For example, there is f- one of uh, the most popular video, young woman, she's an owner of some uh, rental uh, blocks, and she was saying that Jewish people, they are not uh, welcomed in their uh, uh, places, and if they will somehow, they will enter there, they will be banned immediately. With all of this, of course, uh, it was easier for those Telegram channels to gather uh, that much people. In September 2022, Dagestani staged multiple protests against President Putin's mobilization orders. The biggest demonstration took place in Mahachkala. Among others, the Telegram channel Utra Dagestan urged its readers to attend. 
Hundreds of people turned out, and police arrested roughly 200 protesters, leading to about 30 felony prosecutions. Public sentiment here is no mystery. The North Caucasus, including Dagestan, ranks highest in relative terms of men conscripted into Russia's Ukraine invasion force. The war in the other war, the war in Ukraine, how, what, what effect is that having? Because I know that in Dagestan and really across the North Caucasus, we've seen really the only major anti-mobilization demonstrations. And I just wonder what makes this, because it seems as though the region, I mean, the region is in various ways sort of an outlier or unique in the Russian Federation. In terms of, of resistance to mobilization, it's certainly, it stands out. Do you see that being related to the airport pogrom? Like, is that, do, do, are you seeing like threads there or are, they, are those separate issues? In terms of issues, I see them as more separate. Like the, the most connected I would really see them is that in terms of sort of informational feeds, it's going to be similar just because of who was sort of, you know, instigating and running narratives uh, in the lead up and during. So like reasonably the audience probably overlaps, but otherwise the issue not necessarily, I don't really, I don't necessarily see the connection as much, but in terms of mechanisms, I, there's definitely a connection, you know, that runs from those events to now. What about, there's been much made about the fact that the rioters at the airport weren't just like gunned down or weren't suppressed more forcefully. And even in the aftermath, you know, there have been some arrests. Uh, there's, you know, the, the, the governor or the, the head of the republic has, uh, you know, kind of made public reports about they're taking action and so on. And I saw that he recently said it wasn't even that bad, really, like nobody was seriously hurt or there are two people hospitalized, but nobody was killed. And, you know, so no, no Jewish people were hurt or whatever. So the crackdown on the the op on like the anti-Kremlin opposition in Moscow has been a lot more severe than what we're what we're seeing in the aftermath or during the the riot itself at the airport. Like why? I'm going to share another, you know, non-expert opinion for you to either shoot down or tell me how brilliant I am. But my my assumption has been some have said, "Oh, well the reason is because they're the Kremlin is anti-semitic and they're they're happy to see these things that they don't care and you know the, whatever they can like they can you know beat up or terrorize all the jewish people they want doesn't matter my impression has been that any kind of riot is bad for the regime like they they're not they're not happy when the police are overrun like that doesn't look good for anybody and it, the, but there does seem to be a bit more tolerance of that kind of thing in the north caucasus because at least from the moscow's perspective that's all very fragile there. Like, we don't want to rock the boat. Like, we, we'll kind of leave it to the local to local officials to sort of handle things and whatever customs they're, they're doing and, like, just keep it as peaceful as possible. That's kind of my reading of the situation. But I wonder, how do you see it? I see it basically that way. The very notable part about the police and, you know, intervention or involvement, you know, during the during the incident was basically just to, it seemed like it was really just to protect infrastructure or to attempt to protect infrastructure. You know, like they only really pushed back, you know, at doors to the terminal and then the gate to the tarmac. And, you know, those are the really only two moments where it was really, you know, like police doing anything. So it's one of the things where it's hard to say what exactly what the authorities perspective was at, you know, at that in that moment. Harold also told me that Dagestan Governor Sergei Melikov has said he plans to punish only the rioters who attacked police officers or were involved in organizing the gathering, essentially letting everybody else off the hook. Federal law enforcement officials had previously reported the arrest of more than 80 people in connection with the airport riot. Because we certainly have learned, you can see how, how they're viewing it now, which is Melikov is very aware that this is a very sensitive matter to the point that, you know, he's now... It's basically saying I'm only we're we're not going after everybody that was there, you know, with criminal charges. We're only going to you know do basically those that were rocking the police car, 
in the one video that went viral, those that were like throwing stuff at police and those that were like actively limit some is limiting, you know, how criminal charges are going to be applied. And that's in part because, and that's because he knows that this is a very sensitive situation in terms and that he could make things considerably worse. And even though he finally did like his full repressive mechanism, mobilization stuff with Roskvardia all out in force everywhere, even though he finally did that, which is what you we would have expected him to do that night. So, you know, now he has it, everything set up so you can easily repress anything. You know, he's still very sort of had tried to handle things with kids gloves. And part of it is also probably because a lot of Dagest, high, high profile Dagestani sportsmen uh, have come out basically in support and calling on Melikov not to really, really crack down on the kids and literally framing it as, you know, oh, it's, just, it's these, basically it's, you know, these young men that just, you know, got out of control. Several prominent athletes in Dagestan have come out in support of the airport rioters. Habib Nurmagomedov, the mixed martial artist champion and probably the world's best known Dagestani, reposted a message on his Instagram page from another Dagestani athlete addressed to the region's governor and government, asking officials to spare the young men and instead engage the public in open dialogue. Allah is forgiving and loves those who forgive. Nurmagomedov added to the message. And so that sort of happened right before Melikov said, if you were just there or, you know, you were holding a Palestinian flag, we're not going after you. And I know, and so after he said that, somebody asked Peskov about it. And it was actually interesting, his comment, because he was just like, it's his prerogative, you know, it's his read, it has happened in his region, you know, we fully support him, which I just thought was very interesting, considering these criminal charges, unless if they've been moved back down, are not being handled in Dagestan, because it's Bastrikin and the investigative committee in the in Moscow handling things, handling the, the criminal charges. And so that was, I found that a very intriguing comment. When asked on November 2nd about the police investigation into the Mahachkala airport riot, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov expressed support for Dagestan's governor. Days earlier, Vladimir Putin's press secretary told journalists that the reasons for the anti-Semitic riot were understandable against the backdrop of TV footage of the horror unfolding in the Gaza Strip. The deaths of people young and old, medical workers and others, of course, in the light of these images, ill-wishers can easily exploit the situation and incite people. The only public statement about Dagestan's anti-Semitic rioting from Federal Investigative Committee Director Alexander Basrikin was on October 30th, when he said merely that he'd placed the felony investigation's progress under control. So does that mean that Basrikin is probably not handling it? Like that was just on the matter? I think it's sort of, they've now sort of fed it back in to Melikov sort of now ha actually handling things because Moscow's immediate response was surprisingly direct involvement, especially considering who Melikov is, you know, like he's the veteran politician, he's, you know, veteran security services. He was put there in the middle of the pandemic for a reason. And it was because they viewed him as able to bring the stability. And so, you know, obviously these events are like an utter embarrassment for him. And so I think sort of there, there was an instant reaction to not allow him to handle things. And now they're sort of just like, you know, we're getting a few, you know, we're a few days out from the event. And now they're sort of being like, okay, no, like you can, you can handle stuff. So with these few days having passed, do you think like, okay, he's actually, his grade on this isn't so bad. Like he's going to, he'll sort of escape this or he'll, he'll put this behind him and his reputation isn't so harmed. I think one, he's actually probably handled it in a way that pre will prevent fallout. So I think he's going to get credit for that. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. 
Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.